Amen. Once you grab your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to finish the book of Colossians this morning. I brought with me the most important can that I have ever owned. I don't know. I'm sure you have a long list, a top ten of cans that you've owned. But this is the most important can that I've ever owned. Uh, about a month or two ago, Amanda and I were celebrating our anniversary in Mexico. And we had had an amazing time. But the week started to get long and it was time for us to come home. And as soon as you know your heart starts kind of transitioning towards home, you really start missing some of the comforts from home. And one of those comforts that God has created is Dr. Pepper. And everybody said... Amen. Dr. Pepper is um, manna from heaven. And uh, even if you don't regularly drink it, I mean, you want to live in a world where you can get it if you want to. You know what I'm saying? And so we had endured a long week of no Dr. Pepper until we got to the airport. And they had it shining on a shelf in one of the, the restaurants in the food court. That's not where we were eating. We were eating at another restaurant. So I went to get our food and Amanda got in line to get the Dr. Pepper. And so she was waiting in line. I got our food. And you would think that buying one can of soda versus getting your whole meal would, you know, soda would come much faster, but it didn't. And so I waited for her a very, very long time uh, at the at the table, and she finally comes. She comes with our can of Dr Pepper, and I'm like, "How much was it?" Because I'm interested in that. Because you know, it's you know, I'm sure it's double. Maybe it's not seventy five cents. Maybe it's going to be a dollar fifty, two dollars maximum. You know, it's going to cost a little bit extra to get down there. And she said it was five dollars. And so we drank it very, very, very slow, and enjoyed every bit of it. So I brought it home with me because I felt like that was just being a good steward of it. It was $5. And so I'm not sure how long I will keep it, but it's, it's still with us a couple months later. You've all been in that moment where something ended up being more expensive than you thought, or you were willing to pay X amount of dollars for it, but then you found out it was even more than that and you weren't sure that you wanted it. Like our family went to eat sushi a couple weeks ago. I grew up in Missouri, so Sushi is like the boogeyman or uh, Bigfoot, like it doesn't really exist because it takes fish a long time to get to Missouri because there's no shore. And, and so I had never had sushi before, but we have started eating it in our house. And you think that something like that would be cheap because it's like this big, you know, but uh, we ordered for our whole family and we weren't extravagant or anything. $50, $50 worth of raw fish uh, is what we paid. And so I'm not going back there uh, ever. You, you've been that. You've maybe paid a little bit more for a vehicle than you were willing to, a meal, uh, a, a shirt, whatever it is. It's a, it's a weird feeling and, and almost a miserable feeling when something ends up costing you more than you thought, when something is more expensive than what you were expecting. I feel that way about Peter in the Scripture. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus is, is calling and gathering up disciples, and he sees Peter, James, John and Andrew, all on the shore, they're fishermen, and he says to Peter and these other guys, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So follow me, uh, I may be the Messiah, and uh, I'm going to give you a job. And so Peter does. And we see all the way through the Gospels that Peter is, is the leader, he's always the first one to speak up, 
and he's kind of the leader of these guys. But then after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, you remember Peter has denied Jesus three times there in that window, and so Jesus is going to build him back up. And so they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right there in the same place that Jesus first called Peter. He says, Peter, come take a walk with me. And he starts asking Peter one question over and over again. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And now at this point, Peter starts getting offended you know that I love you. You know all things. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says to Peter, there's coming a day when you're going to stretch out your arms and people are going to lead you to places that you don't want to go. And the Bible says, kind of in a parenthesis after Jesus says this, Jesus was saying this to signify what kind of death Peter was going to, to use to glorify God. Now, Peter is probably not thinking three years before on that same seashore This is going to be really expensive for me. When Jesus is saying, come, follow me, and people have got whispering that Jesus is maybe the Messiah, Peter's not thinking one day on this very same shore, Jesus is going to tell me how I am going to die in a way that's going to glorify God. It ended up being more expensive for Peter than he thought. And this is how Paul closes this letter to the Colossians with some simple but very expensive words. Colossians chapter 4, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So here's the main idea for today. I'm giving it to you all up front. You have a calling, just like Peter had a calling, to make fishers of men. You have a calling to make an offering, and the authority of your offering is your suffering. You have a calling to make an offering, and the authority of your offering is is your suffering. It says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, it was not uncommon for someone like Paul to dictate a letter, meaning Paul is not the one handwriting this letter. He was the one saying it, and somebody else is writing it down. But when he gets to the end of the letter, kind of the last few sentences, Paul takes the pencil back, and he says, I'm going to finish off this letter. And so the Colossians can know, hey, this letter was from Paul. That's how it started. But I just want to prove it to you by you seeing this is my own handwriting. Paul did this a handful of times when he says, this is my own hand, or this is from me, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Second Thessalonians, even in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 starts, you know, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. But then when you get to uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 22, the, the, the young guy who's actually the one writing it down, he kind of breaks in. And he says in chapter 16, verse 22, um, this is uh, I, Tertarius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. It'd be like if you were watching the, the 10 o'clock news, not that anybody watches that anymore, but if you did, uh, and you know, you've been watching the anchors the whole time, and then right before the, the credits start rolling, the camera guy kind of did a selfie, and he's like, hey, just want you to know, I'm the one who filmed this. That's what this guy, uh, Tertarius, is doing as Paul ends Romans chapter 16. It's like, from Paul, from Paul, from Paul. Hey, everybody, it's me. From Paul, from Paul, from Paul. And so Paul is saying, I'm not the one who pinned this down. It's all from my mouth, but I'm finishing this letter. I am signing this letter with my own hand. This offering to you, Colossians, came from me. What in the kingdom of God 
has your signature on it? What in the kingdom is in your handwriting that you can say, I contributed that. I offered that. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't special. But it was from me. Maybe it was this past week you braved the apocalypse on 290 and drove into Spring Branch like about 300 or so of our church members to minister to the children in those neighborhoods there at Bayou City Nights. Maybe you showed up last Saturday to the Berry Center and packed meals for starving children all the way around the world with Feed My Starving Children. Maybe you're like one of our members here at Bayou City uh, named MJ. MJ was a successful nurse, actually working her way up the ladder down in the medical center. But she knew that God had given her a gift for nursing, uh, a gift of compassion to help people, not just for Houston, Texas, but for the whole world. And so right now she's in Uganda leveraging her skills and her gifts for uh, people with AIDS and malaria. What in the kingdom have you signed? What in the kingdom is your offering? In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about these things using a little bit different language. In verse 17, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So he's saying to the Philippians, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Now that's serious language, isn't it? I'm being poured out. I'm being completely emptied. That's being more than a, a volunteer. Now, everybody has to volunteer. Every you know, body gets their opportunity to do some kind of volunteering. Volunteering is a good thing, but we're not talking about volunteering today. So I want to tell you just a few things that are different between a volunteer and someone with a calling. Because that's what we're talking about. Paul is making an offering. We want to make an offering, a contribution into the kingdom of God, signed with our own hand. That's more than just a, a moment of volunteering. That's a calling. It's number one, a calling comes with, from within. Volunteering comes from a need. There's a, a calling that comes from within you. It's what you want to do. But volunteering is just, uh, hey, there's a need. Would you be willing to meet it? Number two, a calling is driven by faith. A volunteer is driven by obligation. So when you're living in your calling and when you're contributing out of your calling, um, you want to do it. And it's connected to your faith in Jesus. I, I'm, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this for people in Jesus' name. It's connected there. A, a volunteer usually is just obligated to the person who asked them to do it. You ever been in that situation? Like many of you only do jobs because I asked you specifically through an email, would you do this? It's not that you wanted to do it. It's not that you're passionate about it, but you just feel obligated to the person that asked you to do it. The calling is different. A calling uses your giftedness. Volunteering uses your willingness. It's like, I don't think that I'm gifted to work with children. Some people are, uh, but uh, I am not what you call good at it. Uh, and so uh, I, I, that's not my primary mode of contribution in the kingdom. But if uh, one of, somebody ran down here right now, burst into the room and said, oh my gosh, it is the Lord of the Flies over in the kids ministry, um, you, you know, 
frogs are raining down from the sky. We need some help. I would volunteer because I'm willing. I'm not gifted to do it, and I would actually make it worse when I got down there, but I would be willing to do it. And that's the difference between calling and being a volunteer is your calling is what God made you to do. He wired you up. He gave you spiritual gifts. And when you use them, there's a lot of fruit. But volunteering is just being willing. And being willing is a great thing. But it's different than a calling. Number four, calling requires the Holy Spirit. Volunteering requires showing up. When you're, when you're living out your calling, you want it to be more than just the bare minimum. You don't just want it to be like, oh, I, I did my time. You're asking God in prayer, can you bring your power here? Can you bring your effectiveness here? Can there really be a difference here? But in volunteering, most of the time we just show up and we do what we're asked to do. And nothing more. Number five, a calling reorganizes your life. Volunteering reorganize your time. When you have a calling that comes from within you, everything else in your life will begin to revolve around that. If you're just volunteering, you'll have to reorganize your time. You'll have to make space in your schedule for it. But a calling takes up your whole life. Number six, a calling leaves you tired but fulfilled. Volunteering leaves you tired. Everybody in this room is tired. You know, we all go to bed tired, you know, unless you're a teenager and you just sleep all day anyway and you're still tired. We're all tired. And and volunteering, serving, pouring yourself out in any capacity is going to make you tired. But yet there's a fulfillment in living out your calling even though you're tired. See, I I believe that you will not be spiritually happy until you are walking in your calling, until you are making an offering that is more than volunteering. Being a volunteer is great, and we all have to take a turn, but it won't make you happy. But finding your calling, finding what it is that God wired you up to do, it will wear you out. And you will love every minute of it. Or you will love like 75% of the minutes of it. (laughs) Number seven, a calling impacts many. Volunteering affects a few. And what Paul is saying is, is I'm being poured out. I'm, I'm not just volunteering in serving Jesus, I'm not just volunteering and writing this letter to the Colossians. I'm not just volunteering and, oh, somebody asked me to and I feel obligated, so I'm going to go and check in on them. No, this is his calling. This is his offering. And, and he's being poured out. And look what he says. Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Meaning, I, he's saying, I'm being poured out for the Philippians' faith. And look how it makes him feel. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. So he's glad and he's rejoicing even though he's being poured out, even though he's being completely emptied out. He's glad and he's happy about it. Why? Because he thinks that's a worthy cause. He thinks the faith of the Philippians is a worthy cause for him being totally emptied out. Now, the reality is, is that all of us are going to pour ourselves out in this next 24 hours for something. You're going to give your life to something for the next 24 hours. The question is, will it be a worthy cause? Will it be worth it? Now, well, how, how do I know if it's worth it? Well, ask yourself a couple of questions. If you're going to be poured out anyway, and you want to know what a worthy cause is, just ask yourself two questions. Number one, will this thing matter to me 10 years from now? 
will this thing matter 10 years from now? Like maybe you have an eight-year-old who, uh, and, and they're playing baseball, and that's just like what everything is, is going for uh, in, in all your time, and that seems to be what you're pouring yourself out for. You're going from here to here to here to here to here, and this is your life. Just ask yourself, will this be important 10 years from now? Maybe it won't. M- maybe, maybe you're wearing the mom goggles, and you think that like they're the best ones on earth, but really 10 years from now, maybe they're not the best ones on earth. Now, if they are the best baseball player on earth and you're not wearing mom goggles and it's like totally legit, then you buying them a $500 bat is a good idea. But if 10 years from now they're like, "Eh, not that good, you might want to buy the one from Walmart, right? Maybe they don't need the Rawlings gold glove because they can't actually catch the baseball in it to begin with. Maybe you can just go the one from Target, right? But if 10 years from now your kid is amazing at baseball, then go ahead and buy the $500 bat. It's going to pay off for you when they finance your life based on their major league salary. (laughs) Will this thing matter 10 years from now? Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no, and it will help determine the level of your life that you pour out. And playing baseball is a great thing, but if you know probably 10 years from now, this will not be on our top 10 list of priorities, then just let it be a sport and not a lifestyle. Just let it be something fun and not what you revolve your life around. Another question that you can ask yourself to determine if this is a worthy cause for your life is, will this thing matter in heaven? Will it matter in heaven that you did this thing and participated in it? You're like, well, here it is. This is I knew this was coming because what we're going to be left with is our life. It will be moving from church to prayer and prayer to church. And that's what we're supposed to do. We can't be holy unless we're at church or we're praying at home or reading the Bible. That's because I mean, what else are we going to be happy that we did in heaven? Well, like this weekend, I wanted to see a movie. And uh, it was a movie that Amanda was not going to be in the least bit interested. It involved spaceships. And so she was out on that. And I didn't want to take the time to be like, hey, do you want to go to the movie? And then you got to wait for them to text you back. And you can't invite like four people because what if, you know, the second one said yes, but then the first one said yes later. That's not going to work. I just wanted to go to a movie. And so I went by myself. That's not weird. That's totally normal. And uh, right And so I rolled into the movie theater, but I'm a normal person. And so I act like I'm saving a seat for somebody else. And then, (laughs) and then when, you know, that person never shows up, they feel sorry for me instead of thinking that I'm a weirdo. And so I enjoyed the movie. Now, will that matter in heaven that I went and saw that movie? Absolutely not. Does that mean I can't ever go see a movie because it doesn't matter in heaven? I don't think so because uh, sometimes Amanda and I go to the movies and it's not just to to go see something entertaining. It's an overflow of our love and marriage, and I think that matters in heaven. There are a lot of things that you can do that will matter in heaven, not just spiritual things like reading your Bible and praying and coming to church. We ask ourselves these questions because most of us are going to end up pouring out our lives day after day after uh, and on things that are neutral and inconsequential. It's not that they're bad, it's just they don't last very long. But Paul says, I'm pouring out myself like a drink offering, which was a sacrifice of wine that they would pour around the altar in the Old Testament. It was presented every day and on the Sabbath and on special holidays. He's saying, I'm being poured out like this drink offering, and I'm glad about it because it's a worthy cause. God has gifted you 
and set aside a calling for you. So that you can put your name and your signature and your handwriting on something in the kingdom. But then he also says this in Colossians. He says, I'm I'm writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Colossians is one of the prison letters along with Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon. They're called the prison letters because Paul actually wrote them from prison. And we know that because of what he talks about here. He talks about his his chains, his imprisonment. We know from the scripture that Paul had at least three extended stays in prison in Ephesus, Caesarea, and in in Rome. And he had a lot of other sufferings. In fact, it's Paul's one of his favorite subjects. It's like Jesus and then his sufferings. He's always talking about it. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's writing the letter to the Corinthians because these other teachers have come in after him. He's left town to move on to start and help other churches. And these other teachers have come in and they're like, don't listen to Paul. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You should listen to us. And one of the things, uh, you know, they're doing is challenging his authority, but he's not there to defend himself. And so 2 Corinthians is really a letter primarily to defend his authority as an apostle. And so in chapter 11, he just gets down to the to, to the, the, to, to the reason, like the main reason why they should listen to him. And look at what he says in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. Listen to this. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the the churches, what he's saying is, is listen to me, not because I know things, not because I'm the most eloquent preacher, not because we're friends. Listen to me because I have suffered. His chains give his letter authority. And we don't know what happened in Colossae after they received this letter. We don't know if they obeyed, they disobeyed, if they listened to the advice, or, or, or they didn't. But we do know about one group, um, what happened to them, the Laodiceans. In chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of Laodicea, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. These towns, Colossae, where the Colossians lived, and Laodicea were very close together. And so probably what happened is Paul is writing this letter from prison, but he's writing multiple letters. And he writes one to the Colossians, which we have. And he writes another to the Laodiceans, which we don't have. And the courier took both of those. He dropped one off at Colossae, and he dropped the other one off at Laodicea. And then after they had read them, studied them, listened to them, they swapped. Now, we don't know what happened in Colossae. We don't know what happened to the Colossians. But we do know what happened to the Laodiceans about 10 to 20 years later. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. We hear about these Laodiceans again. Only this time, instead of the Apostle Paul speaking to them, it's Jesus passing on a note to them. Verse 
It says in chapter 3, verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So what happened to the Laodiceans about 10 years later, or 20 years later, after Paul wrote this letter, letters to them is they didn't disobey but they didn't obey either parents you ever been in that moment aunts uncles where you yell up to your children clean up your room and they don't go into their room and make it worse but they also don't go into their room and make it better that's being lukewarm so it wasn't like the laodiceans they disobeyed it they just didn't really obey and And Jesus says, that's not good. So if your kids don't clean their room today, you can say, I spit you out of my mouth. I'm sure that will get their attention. And then look what he says in verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. That could be the motto of Cypress, Texas, couldn't it? I am rich or I am middle rich. I have prospered. I went to college. I made something of myself. And I need nothing. And not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus says, buy from me gold refined by fire. Jesus is using the refining process here. In the refining process, all the unwanted and unnecessary is stripped away from what's valuable. See, faith that is influential in homes... On streets, in workplaces, is faith that has been tested. Paul's chains were the fire that made his letter gold. See, Satan wants to convince you that your loss and your disappointment, your tragedy, your betrayal, all of that has only brought harm to you. But that's not true. Your pain, your loss, your disappointment, your betrayal, your diagnosis, they have brought harm and they have brought pain. But tucked in somewhere in there is some good. When I was 24, I got to interview for my dream job, which is a real unique thing and not one that any 24-year-old deserves. No offense to you 24-year-olds. But it was what I had wanted to do, dreamed about doing. and, uh, And so... Went for the interview and it was one of those where you, you've been in this where it's like you interview with one person, they pass you on to the next group and the next group and the next group. And so about two months was the interview process and the whole time I was like looking good, looking good, looking good, looking good until the very last interview was coming up. And listen, there wasn't even like we're considering two or three people. It was like you are our only candidate and at the last minute they're like we don't want you. And it, so I couldn't even comfort myself with oh there was somebody more qualified. No, there was no one. Literally their option was 
not have somebody or have this guy and they chose to not have somebody. Are you all with me on how amazing this was for me personally? Now you would think that, and, and I would understand emotions like anger and frustration and you know sadness and all of those. I expected all those, but the overwhelming feeling that I had that I never saw coming is I felt deeply ashamed. I don't even know why I was ashamed. I, I didn't do anything wrong, um, but I guess I felt ashamed that I should think that that would happened to me, something that good would happen to me that early in, in life, or I, I was ashamed maybe that I, I should have said one thing and, and I didn't say that, or I shouldn't have said that, and I did. I just felt a, a lot of shame. And there were many times in the few years uh, after that, as I finished out my 20s, that I, I was doing ministry and I was loving it very much. And, and yet I would come home sometimes, every once in a while, I would come home and I would sit in the red chair in our living room, man would be on the couch, and I'd be like, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. I feel frustrated. I feel like there's more that I can bring to the table. And I want to quit. I want to quit. And for me, quitting means going and selling insurance. I don't know why. I just feel like maybe I would be amazing at that. And um, I'm not sure how you do it. But if any of you are hiring and this doesn't work out, I'm interested. Um, But uh, I'll I'll be like, this is, I'm quitting today. I'm just done. I would rather not do anything than to to do less than what I want to do. And it was hard and it was painful. And last month, I was sitting across the table from a young guy in our church. And, and I'm hearing him say things like, this is what I want to do, but every door is closed to me. And, and a door seems like it's going to open. And then I start walking through it and it's like it slams in my, in my face. And I don't understand why God won't let me do this. And I just... And listen, with authority, I could say, trust me. With authority, I could say, listen to me. With authority, I could say, be patient. See, your contribution and your offering into the kingdom of God, it doesn't get authority and have weight because of what you know has authority because of what you've endured. So where you have thought that that painful loss has only been harm to you, that painful loss has given authority to your comfort of others. That disappointment that you've had, that deep long-lasting disappointment that you have had in your life. You thought it has only reaped destruction in you, but what it has secretly bought for you is an encouragement to other people that comes with authority. That diagnosis that you got and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and for whatever reason, God has not taken it from you yet and you're still walking under the influence of that diagnosis and that sickness, and you have thought it has only brought harm and destruction to you, but what it has secretly bought in deep, dark secrets is it has brought for you a humbleness in praying for someone else's healing that God may not be able to resist. And that deep betrayal that you have never gotten over It has wounded you for a lifetime, but what it has also bought for you is a forgiveness that cannot be denied by other people. 
Your authority in this world does not come from being an expert. If you want to speak to someone's soul, you speak the language of suffering. And somewhere out of all that harm that has come to us, good can have its effect. You remember the story of Thomas? Thomas was a disciple of Jesus and he was distraught after Jesus was crucified. And Jesus started making appearances after he was resurrected. But for whatever reason, Thomas was out getting Dr. Pepper when Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. So when he comes back with his arms full of delicious uh, 23 flavored Dr. Pepper, um, the disciples are like, you're never going to believe this. Jesus is alive. And like he came right here. And Thomas is like, uh-uh. They're like, no, for real. Seriously, we're not even lying to you. He came right into this room and he's like, I can't believe it. I hear what you're saying and I want to believe it, but I cannot believe it. The only way I can believe it is if I see with my eyes the nail marks in his hands and I put my own hand in his wound in his side. So Jesus, out of incredible grace and mercy, comes back into the room when Thomas is there. And the first thing he says is, Thomas, see my wounds and put your hand right here. And the Bible says that Thomas, he doesn't need to do any of that. He just falls down right where he is and he starts worshiping Jesus. Now what's crazy, as we finish this morning, what's crazy is Jesus could have gotten that worship from Thomas without those wounds. Because in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized and the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, Satan himself comes to tempt Jesus. He starts doing all these things with Jesus, like you're hungry and you fasted and why don't you turn these stones to bread and why don't you, you know, jump off the, the pinnacle of the temple because the angels will come and rescue them. And then one of his temptations is Jesus... He takes Jesus, Satan takes Jesus to this highest mountain and he lays out before him all the kingdoms of the earth. And so I think it was super, supernatural. He to see all the kingdoms that existed at that time on all the kingdoms and all the governments and all the lands and all the people that would be for all time. I think Jesus could see. And Satan says to Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me, I will make sure that they bow down and worship you. You can have all of these kingdoms. See, Jesus could have gotten Thomas's worship and adoration without suffering. But it wouldn't have had the authority to give us eternal life. We would have worshipped Jesus, but then we would have been doomed for destruction if Jesus had given in to Satan's temptation. But he suffered and he endured And that's why with authority, Jesus can save us. That's why with authority, he can make a promise to us of eternal life. We're not going to get a choice this next semester of whether we suffer or whether we endure pain, loss, and disappointment. We're not going to get a choice in any of that. But what we can do is we can let that pain have its effect. And somewhere in the midst of all the harm, God can bring an authority to your contribution to the kingdom that is undeniable. God has called you to make an offering and the authority of your offering 
is your suffering. Let's pray. God, this is not the way that we would have chosen it, but we don't deny it. We know when somebody prays for us who needs prayer themselves that it means more than somebody who prays for us who has everything that we've ever wanted. Lord, we know that the testimony of those who have endured is stronger than the testimony of those who have just gotten everything they've wanted when they wanted it. So we don't deny it today. We just ask for your perseverance and your strength to help us endure. And I pray in our endurance, you would give us an authority and power that we've never dreamed. So by your power and your strength, by your power and your strength, would you make our offerings count for Jesus' name in this world. Amen.